Welcome back to G Programs. This is the New Culture Forum's latest show committed to fighting back against the forces of ideological conformity, particularly among the young. My name is Harrison Pitt. I'm a senior editor at the European Conservative, and I'm delighted to be joined today, as ever, by Evan Riggs, who is a freelance journalist, and our special guest today, Ben Habib, member of the Reform Party. Now, um, God knows we've flogged the Conservative Party to death on this show. Um, yes, Wait, I wonder why. for many weeks, deservedly so. Um, we're not going to stop. We're not going to stop. Uh, but yet they still stand in the way of a, of a genuinely conservative revival of the sort that I think many people want to see in this country. What for you has been their most standout failing over the last 13 years? Well, I mean, then the, 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 their failings are manifold. But I think for me, the thing that really exemplifies a complete collapse in political will, a belief in this country, a belief in the importance of the United Kingdom, an independent sovereign state. For me, it's the Northern Ireland Protocol. And you might think that's, you know, quite a niche Te subject. Technical Technical objection. niche subject. Yeah. But what this government has done, what the Conservative Party, the Conservative and Unionist Party has done, is to voluntarily partition mm. the United Kingdom. Now, there hasn't been an insurgency. As far as I'm aware, we haven't been invaded. No. There hasn't been any popular demand from the electorate to break the country up. But over the heads of British citizens in Northern Ireland and indeed in Great Britain, this government has decided that it suits the country's interests best to put a border down the Irish Sea. And, you know, when you cast your mind back to 1982, when we launched virtually our entire armed forces to defend a British protectorate 10,000 miles away <coughs> yes. with a population of 1.8 million people and 10,000 sheep. And, and penguins. <laughs> and some penguins. Yes. And then you look at what we're doing in 20... Uh, when, 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 when we sign the thing, 2020. Yes. Um, you know, we've given up on 1.8 million people. Yes. In part of the United Kingdom. Mm. How much of that had to do with the fact that there was an, an immense pressure uh, within the Conservative Party and in the country after this whole psychodrama of Brexit to get that through in the most, you know, uh, effective way possible such that we could ignore some of the technical details around Northern Ireland. I, I, felt, I, I think a lot of Brexiteers at the time were so, uh, were, were so f full of buoyancy about the fact that Boris Johnson had finally, you know, got Brexit, got done. Brexit done, that yeah. Northern Ireland was shelved. To what extent is that as much of a failing of us, Brexiteers generally, as it is a failing of this Conservative government. So, if you assume that we should all be politically entirely well informed <laughs> and that we shouldn't trust anything our politicians say, then of course Brexiteers are entirely at fault. Yes. Because we should have been looking behind the curtains mm. to see, you know, what was really going on. But it, on the other hand, it's perfectly valid to state that the electorate and Brexiteers amongst them, could take at face value the representations made by the British Prime Minister mm. that the country would leave the EU as one united kingdom, and which is what Boris Johnson said we would do, mm. and he, which is what he said also his withdrawal agreement that had already been negotiated, remember, the withdrawal yes. agreement would deliver. Yes. It was the oven-ready deal. deal. And, um, and I'm afraid, as much as I don't like using the word, Boris Johnson lied. Mm. He lied about what that deal was. He kept saying there wouldn't be a border down the Irish Sea. And, um, and it was patently wrong. And, you know, it's not just about Northern Ireland. This isn't some kind of esoteric political constitutional nicety that I'm, you know, absolutely labouring to the nth degree. This affects Great Britain too, you know, Wales and Scotland and, and England. And it affects us because part of our country is going to be, and I use this perhaps slightly emotively, under the jackboot mm. of the European Union. And that will prevent the rest of the country from genuinely becoming independent of the EU. Yes. Why do you think Boris lied? Because Boris is, I mean, Boris, look, he has great political um, charisma. Uh, charisma some fantastic attributes. One might even say he's one of the greatest politicians in modern times mm. because of his ability to 
connect with everyone from you know the working class all the way through to the toffs at the top of society. But he has a very loose association with the truth. He seeks popularity more than he seeks good governance. Mm. And I think he's lazy. And he thought, well, I've got this deal. I can sell it. Mm. I can sell pretty much anything I wish to sell. Mm. Let's get this thing done. And to the extent we need to sort stuff out later, we'll try and sort it out later. He's always struck me as being someone who has spent a, a good amount of his life angling for immense political power without any real core set of principles yeah. which would justify that pursuit. He's not ideologically driven. He doesn't seem to be. Yeah, And that, that's the issue, I think, broadly with the Conservative Party. It seeks to be so many things to so many different people in order to get into office. But once they get there, pragmatism can't see you through. Of course. You have to have a vision for what you want the country to be. You have to then have a plan to back up that yeah. vision. And then the executive ability to deliver that plan and implement it. And this government, uh, much before Boris Johnson, has failed at every level. No vision, no plan, no execution ability. And you see nothing improved in the person nothing. of Rishi Sunak? No. Rishi Sunak. On Northern Ireland in particular, because he, he slightly modified Johnson's deal, didn't he, about... He's made eight, it worse. Eight months ago, nine He's months made, ago. Yeah, the Windsor framework. Tell He's us, made it worse. Well, tell us why it's worse. So what he will tell you is that Northern Ireland, through the Stormont break, will now have the ability to stop new laws from being passed without the right to break, exercise this Stormont break. The Stormont break... <coughs> first, to, first, to be clear, so you mean new laws hailing from Brussels? From, from, Brussels. from Brussels. So let, let's just be clear what the protocol is and what the Windsor framework is. In essence, what it is, is the subjugation of Northern Ireland to foreign laws made by a foreign legislature enforced by a foreign court. It's what, I know you're Canadian, but I'm going to say you lot for the purpose mm. of this discussion. It's what you lot rebelled over sure. in the late 18th century. Um, the Boston Tea Party was no, all about no taxation without representation. Mm. What you have in Northern Ireland is taxation without representation. And what, what Rishi Sunak said was that the Windsor Framework would fix this, that the Stormont break, which gives Stormont the ability technically to, to repel new EU legislation restored the democratic deficit, is what he said. Of course, it's all bunkum. Um, in establishing the Windsor framework, what Rishi Sunak did was put into cast iron law everything that the Northern Ireland is already subject to, removed the ability for Northern Ireland to exit this uh, protocol, which it did have technically in 2024 and every four years on, Stormont had the option to extricate themselves from the EU, but he's got rid of that. All they now have is the ability to try and stop new laws. But you can imagine, Harrison, can't you, that Brussels is producing new laws at a rate of knots. Can you, do you think the legislature in the, it's not a legislature even, the Stormont, the Stormont yes. Assembly has the ability to monitor <coughs> everything. Yeah, to, to go through it with a fine tooth comb yeah. and say what we want, say what we don't want. It's yeah. just going to end up drinking from the fire hose. Absolutely. Yeah. And the bar yeah. in order to block new legislation is very high. 30 of the 90 uh, members of the uh, Stormont Assembly, MLAs, have to wish to stop it. So that, so in order just to get a vote, you need that. You need thirty. You need that. Yeah. Then you need to bring it to Westminster. Yeah. Westminster then needs to check that you, that, that, that there's sufficient grounds for this objection to have been raised in the first place, mm. and then Westminster has the uh, ha, has then has to go to the EU and say we're not applying this law. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yes. And then, and this is the. Uh, complete undermining of the Stormont break. The EU has the right to take corrective action. So if we reject an EU law in Northern Ireland, the EU can use some other mechanism to force it on us. Such as the European Court of Justice? So, oh, no, some corrective mechanism. So if, let's say we refuse a tariff, okay. they can impose another tariff. I see. So we can... So to counterbalance it. So it's such an arduous process that Sovereignty in principle becomes subjection in practice. Absolutely. So okay. The Windsor framework is worse than the protocol. I'm not just saying it mm. because it sound, suits my book to say it. I'm not saying it to be hyperbolic or to grab attention. Mm. It is genuinely worse. So when Steve Baker 
and Chris Heaton-Harris, who are now Minister of State and Secretary of State for Northern Ireland, say it's hardline unionists who are holding up mm. Stormont. Nonsense. It's, it's, it's unionists calling out a, 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 an absolute affront to our constitutional arrangements. Do you, so, sorry, go on. What's Reform's response then? Ditch the, withdraw, ditch the Windsor framework. Put the border where it deserve, where the Good Friday Agreement recognises a border be. to be, Indeed. which is on the island of Ireland, between Northern Ireland and the Republic. And to hell with the Republic's objections. Northern Ireland is British and it will be part of the United Kingdom. And if the Republic don't like it, well, that's just bad luck. They signed up to the Good Friday Agreement. <laughs> <laughs> I see. I see. Okay. And so when you talk about a border being in the Irish Sea, I think a lot of people struggle to wrap their heads around what that means in because they'll say, well, I can go to, you know, I can go to Belfast if I wish. I don't really face any trouble. I've never actually been to Belfast, but I'm assuming it's pretty easy to get it to get in. <laughs> but when talking about a border down the, the Irish Sea, what you what we mean is that Northern Ireland exists in a different regulatory framework to, to the United Kingdom. Mm. Yeah. And that that therefore makes it what but if that's true i i, yeah. I understand the, the, the principal point about sovereignty but one of the the, the the driving thrusts of brexit for many people not all people but I, I think you're one of these people was that uh we could use brexit as a as a way of deregulating as a way of um you know fundamentally important if, yeah, cu yeah cutting cutting red tape and, and if if the, there really are two regulatory frameworks namely the, the uh, britain wales and scotland and then northern ireland sure it it, it, it it's an affront to sovereignty that Northern Ireland can't come with, with us, but what's preventing us on, on, on this island from diverging from European Union legislation? We can, we, we can diverge and we will give up Northern Ireland in the process. In the process. I see. And so it is the, that's why I say it's the subjugation of Northern Ireland okay. to foreign laws. I mean, the way you, you know, ultimately, what does Russia want in Ukraine? This is going to inflame Remainers if there's ever a Remainer watching I don't this. Think but, so. I don't think so. Um, but what does Russia want in Ukraine? It wants the establishment of its laws, hmm. its procedures, mm -hmm. for Ukraine to tow its line. Hmm. That's what the EU is doing in Northern Ireland. It's very hmm. different. They haven't put tanks in. They haven't put an army in. Hmm. We've just given it up voluntarily. I see. It's uh, an invasion of uh, managerial bureaucrats. Yeah, but an invasion nonetheless. Yeah, it's an invasion nonetheless. They've taken part of our country. And I find that, you know, obviously it's annoying. It's, you know, more than annoying. annoying. <laughs> 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 you know, it sort of makes you angry. But yes. I think what it exemplifies, gents, is, you know, we can talk about immigration, open borders, an attack on the nation state, an attack on our history, our culture, our self-confidence as a nation. Mm. But of course... Nothing better exemplifies our preparedness to allow these attacks than giving up part of the country. No, indeed. Mm. It, it, it goes to show that, uh, in, in the, in, to the minds of many people in our elite at least, the nation state is, is, is a bit of an obsolete organ. It, well, it's a completely obsolete organism. Unless it's organism. Ukraine. Unless it's Ukraine. In which in, case, in, we have to in, die on the <laughs> altar exactly, of protecting it. It's it very interesting because <laughs> I, have, I have a strong suspicion. I don't want to get too partial on the Ukraine stuff, uh, but I have a very strong suspicion that many within our sort of liberal international cosmopolitan elite, well represented by you know many Remainers, would be horrified to hear some of the you know the the ethno nationalism that that is that is that is common, particularly in in, in eastern Ukraine. Um, so in, in many ways. The, the reason they admire Ukraine is different for the reasons that the Uk many of the, the, the most virulent nationalists in Ukraine admire Ukraine. They those people generally do admire Ukraine as a sort of organic, romantic entity that needs to be preserved yeah. at all material costs. And, and that's why not? Thing. That's their in, country. In, indeed, and yeah. that's completely, yeah. uh, completely ju just and proper. But uh, our sort of cosmopolitan liberal elites, they don't tech really view Ukraine in that way. They view Ukraine as, as, as a province of international liberalism, and that's why they yeah. rush to defend it. It's become it. another cause celebrity for course. the work lot. Of it? Well, of course yeah. it has. And uh, yeah, it can, it, can be very, it can be very difficult to, to, to have a, a meaningful debate on it precisely for that reason, because pe people aren't actually interested in the issues themselves. They're only interested in Ukraine insofar as it might serve this side or, or that side in the yeah. culture war. It's going to it sort of leverage as a political football, I feel, particularly in, in the United States. But go on. What do you make of Boris Johnson flying into Ukraine basically well, on the Americans' orders and saying, like, we are in no way going to make a deal with Russia? Um, you I know, mean, we won't rest until the pride flag, you know, flies above <laughs> Kiev. Yeah. Um, w I thought that was such uh, a stunning. Coming did he from, say that? Did he say, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> um, I wouldn't put it past him. Making no, no. a joke, but. Um, <laughs> 
I thought it was such a stunning kind of revelatory moment of like the power of like the the kind of U.S. hegemon in that they basically like went to Prime Minister of the U.K. and said, "Go, go, do our little errand for us. We'll keep funding it, but you're going to go tell them to get into line." I thought it was um, very revelatory in that, like you know, you might say that Northern Ireland has been split apart from from the U.K., but it's like wh where's the U.K. sovereignty when Boris is running around, you know, being kind of a, an American lapdog? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, it's a really pertinent question you ask because it is very revelatory, as you mm. say, that the British Prime Minister, someone who, whom we know, the former British Prime Minister, someone whom we know not to have any real ideological leanings, mm. has made Ukraine such a fundamentally important part of his life. And, I mean, I, all I can say is that he's made a shed load of money since he retired as Prime Minister. A lot of it has been paid by the Harvey Walker Agency in New York, which is an agency that books people to make speeches. Oh, right, and yeah. these are advance payments that he's received from the Harvey Walker Agency. We don't know who the ultimate um, commissioners were of his speeches. But he made two and a half million upfront. That was in January. I'm sure he's had a lot more since. Two and a half million upfront for speeches he hadn't made. Uh. Now, who, <laughs> which industry, which group of people in the U.S. would have an interest in Boris Johnson banging the drum for Ukraine and be able to pay such large sums of money across to Boris? I mean, Raytheon. Well, exactly. <laughs> well, exactly. Exactly. The defense industry. Yeah. The defense industry. War is big money, isn't it? And, you know, we've spent two and a half billion last year. We're going to spend another two and a half billion on Ukraine this year. The US. 100 billion? 100 billion. <laughs> 100 billion. Mm. And we also all know that when you make that kind of expenditure in a war zone, a lot of it goes astray. Sure. Into the back pockets of lots of other people. Not that I'm impugning the integrity of anyone. But it's bound to be going astray. <coughs> Vested interests are being created. People will be getting rich on the back of this war. And I'm not suggesting for a second that Boris Johnson is creaming money out illegally. Mm. But he's absolutely, I'm sure he's got a vested interest of course. in this war. Well, the thing I find most puzzling about Boris Johnson's relationship to Ukraine is that one of the things that I think he'll be remembered for in this country is, is locking his own people up while flinging the borders wide open, which is an asymmetric view of free movement, if ever I enc yeah. encountered one. So he, 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 because many people might not even know this, but Boris Johnson actually liberalized our immigration laws to, to a pretty astonishing extent post-Brexit. It was, it was part of the whole sort of liberal post-Brexit. Yeah, he said we'd have this point-based system, but he sent the bar so low yes, that is, basically is, anyone can come any, in. Anyone can get in, which is why we've had ex <laughs> like extortionately yeah. high rates of immigration even since. Uh, you know, Brexit came into effect in January of 2020. What I find astonishing about it is that, I mean, Boris, even someone like Boris Johnson would be able to see through uh, such a scheme as this. Let's say that Vladimir Putin, and this is something which dictators typically do, by the way, but let's say that Vladimir Putin, instead of invading Ukraine, had, desi had decided to sponsor sort of mass immigration programs of, of extremely high numbers of Russians into Ukraine in order to try and dilute. Yeah, a the, bit like Belarus tried with Poland. Exactly, yeah. and a bit like um, the, the Chinese Communist Party has done with Tibet. Boris yeah. Johnson would see through that and he would realize that the right to self-determination of the Ukrainian people was threatened by, by, uh, by, the, by the way in which their demographic balance was yeah. being kind of colonialism. Yeah, tinkered yeah. with, so, sort of yeah. settler colonialism. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. the sort of thing that the left would complain about if Israel was doing this into the West Bank or doing, doing this into Gaza, all these sorts of things. So liberal internationalists are very good at times at seeing through these sort of ma like politically subversive mass immigration schemes, yet they're completely porous uh, in, in their approach to our own border and they, and they, and they don't consider... Um, the long-term political consequences of, you know, yeah. unprecedented demogra demographic tran transformation of a kind that could leave sort of the, the, the long-established, re reasonably homogenous population of this country stateless in a matter yeah. of decades. Well, I mean, I know you were in Brussels when I spoke about this yes. the other day and at the European Conservative event. And, um, I mean, my take on it is that there is a contempt for the nation-state mm -hmm. amongst the governing classes of Western liberal democracies yes. and that they see the prosperity of the globe being delivered through global um, cooperation, 
global institutions such as the EU, mm. <laughs> um, the UN, mm. um, WHO, World Bank, IMF, all these institutions, I think they hold in higher regard and wish to empower and get power away from nation states so that decisions can be made on a global basis mm. for the global population. Mm. But of course, the minute you eschew the nation state in that way mm. and you start making decisions and policies based on what's good for the globe, you become uh, at the very least indifferent to the nation state, at very least indifferent to its history, its culture, the social settled construct yes. that is a nation state, yes. its people. and. So then who cares about immigration? Well, in, indeed. And, and but also really importantly in, in, in demographic terms, because it's, 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 it's often quite tempting, I think, for many uh, conservatives who complain about immigration simply to couch the challenges of immigration in logistical terms. And there, no doubt though, to do with housing, you know, uh, yeah. NHS appointments, you know, education places, like these things do matter as well. But there's also uh, there's also a, a, a real demographic cost. Sorry, there's also a real cost to tinkering with it, with it, with a nation's demographics without the consent of the people who are already there. In many ways, it's not even a political question; it's a meta, it's a meta political issue because, you, yeah. you, because what you're doing is you're, in many ways, assuming that many of these people are going to become new voters and may vote in a way which is different from the patterns of voting we've seen in the sort of the long-established ancestral population. Is what you're effectively doing is you're importing a new new voting blocks without the consent of the existing people. Well, what you're talking there. about is called the celebration paradox, or um, oh, yes. not paradox. I don't know uh, what it's called, but yes, I, I know what you're talking about. Parallax, whatever, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. My memory's giving up on me. But I mean, but um, you're so right. But it, it's, you know, it's, it's okay for people to come in and then become new voters and vote Labour. Mm. But if you say, you know, they're doing it on purpose to like basically wedge out the conservative vote, you're now a great replacement conspiracy Indeed. theorist and you have to go on InfoWars and defend your positions. Yes. Yeah. But I mean, people, especially in the US, <laughs> people, people openly, uh, they openly make these claims. Like the we're, we're going to import new people in and then we're going to like breed you out. And it's, it's yeah. totally okay. And, and when well, it, when well, well, I mean, we're not a million miles from that here. No, we're, we? we're not. Mean, we're, we're fortunately a little bit yeah. behind, behind the United States, but it's, it is, Evan's completely right. If you're celebrating it, then it, it, it's not happening and it's a good thing, is basically. Yeah. And it's a good thing that it is. It's basically yeah. the paradox that's going on. It's not even a paradox. It's just sort of barefaced. Yeah. But we are, we are actually doing it. Oh, yes. And the Conservatives are doing it to yes. their own detriment. True. Because it will be Labour that they vote for. Well, that's true. You know, it won't be, it's, it it's won't true. be the Conservatives. It's true. Well, one thing <laughs> I, I, yes and no. I mean, I don't know. I see what's happening in some states in the US, like, um, mm. like in Florida, in, in Miami especially, where they're importing lots of Cubans. Um, which are now starting to vote conservative, and they're they're seeing mm. a bit of a shift there. And I mean, if you do look at like uh, maps about, uh, let's say, like tolerance towards gay people mm. in all of the UK, and you see, you know, London's <laughs> like a bright red dot of intolerance, and you're like, wait, I thought all, I thought all these people were like universally educated elites, and you're like, oh no, it's because people don't want to go live out in the country if they've just shown up here and yeah. go to the urban areas. And it's, it's these weird little inconsistencies yeah. that people just kind of have to paper yeah. over. Sort of 10% of Yorkshire is against gay marriage, but 45% of the SOAS faculty well, is against yeah, gay well, marriage. Well, puzzled, in, what's going on? What's going on there? Even, <laughs> even in Canada, um, Justin Trudeau had to come out and say, um, you know, American Republicans stop poisoning our Muslim Canadians against gay people. And it's like, why would the American Republicans have anything to do with that? Like, it's got nothing to do with it. <laughs> it's like absolutely bizarre. Yeah. Um, but you, of course, you can't possibly yeah. admit what might be a real causal factor there. Yeah. It's, no, you can't because you would be accused of being, you know, Islamophobic or indeed. something, wouldn't you? I want to get to something you said recently on Twitter, which I found very interesting and, and juicy in, in many ways. But I just wanted to make one quick point. To, it, it's true that there are some minorities in the, in the United States who actually do reliably, at scale, break in favor of the Republicans over the Democrats. Unfortunately, there are only two of them. Uh, and they are one of which uh, Evan mentioned, Cubans yeah. and North Vietnamese. Or Vietnamese, because most of sorry, South because Vietnamese. they aspire to the old kind of American think, yeah. capitalist, you know, because they've seen it in operation, I, I, they know it works. Indeed, and, 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 they've, yeah. and they've also likely, if it, whether they've seen it themselves or not, they likely have a family background of people not experiencing that in, you know, the communism in Vietnam and communism in Cuba. And so yeah. it tends to be, I, I, I'm a little bit uh, hesitant to, to celebrate that too much because I do think that it is an expression of a very particularistic history, both in the case of the Vietnamese and in the case of the Cubans. Once we start seeing those rates among like Guatemalans and Mexicans, that will be a lot more interesting. Yeah, I think me. this is something that will evolve over time. I'm not suggesting that the UK's new imports will be voting for the Conservatives if they're mm. even around yeah, by not, then. Not that we even want them to. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I don't think it's 
some groups will certainly break from kind of mm. the, the labor line and be like, I don't want you teaching my kids about like... Pride know, and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, of yeah, course, yeah. yeah. But, uh, I mean, it was interesting. Um, when Lawrence Fox, who I'm sure, sure you know, was canvassing in Uxbridge, yes. um, you know, he just burnt the pride flag, remember? <laughs> and he burnt it, I think, in part because it, it nods to Palestine and it's got other stuff going on in it. But he was he was welcomed by the Muslim community <laughs> in Uxbridge because, you know, he was yeah. effectively on their side yeah. of the debate when yes. it came to Pride. This is true. So it's you're going to get these two things knocking up against it's each true, other. It's true. But the thing that I will say, well, like when it comes to the sort of, like, so I'm not not talking about Muslims in, in in general, but let's let's just say sort of organized political Islam in this country, which which does exist. They they do adopt an incredibly conservative approach to political life across a whole range of dimensions. Sure. The only the unfortunate thing about that is that they're not conservative about British culture. They're conservative about what they regard as their own culture. Well, this is where you know. So my son the other day I was on GB News talking about how uh, difficult immigration was from an from an economic perspective, mm. and it was six a.m. and he came down at about six fifteen. He said, "Daddy, you know you were really loud," <laughs> and, um, and he said, "You got that all wrong." So I said, "What do you mean I got that all wrong?" He's never said that before. He said, Daddy, you missed the whole point. It's not about the economy. Yeah. We can sort the economy out somehow. That's, we can fix that. It's about the undermining of the culture of this country. Absolutely. It's the social fabric which is being torn up. And I, thought, and I said to him, darling, you're, you're absolutely right, but I can't say that very easily. I'm saying it now. <laughs> but you can't say that very easily <laughs> because, well, the minute it. you say that, people go, well... You're a racist. That's, yeah, that, I don't you know, know. That is kind of a British thing, though. I think you can say that in America, and here people are more hesitant about it. Um, I mean, Liz Truss, I think that was kind of a big part of her downfall, where she came out and basically had this like 10 point economic plan, mm. which I'm sure her, her book, what, what is it? Um, oh, uh, 10 Years to Save, save the, the West, West will just be a bunch of economic policies. <laughs> it's like, that's what, what we need to do. Is we, need, we need to cut capital gains yeah. tax to save it's the West. It's not the economy, <laughs> stupid. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, we are hollowing ourselves out culturally. This yeah. is why it's so pernicious for the church and for the royal family to say, you know, they're ashamed of their slave trading past, that reparations need to be paid. Mm. It's Look, the people who were affronted by the slave trade are dead. Mm -hmm. Those who perpetrated the trade are, are dead. dead. And actually, a lot of people who were the subject of the trade are doing really well at the moment. Mm -hmm. There are no reparations to be paid. But it's not about reparations, is no, it? No, of course not. It's about an attack no, no. on our history. Absolutely, it's self-flagellation. Yeah, yeah. It, and it's an attack on our self-confidence. They want to cow us. Yes. They want to shut down debate. Yes. They want, if you don't mind me saying so, because I'm half-half, but they want to shut white people down. They want to promote ethnic minorities. They don't want you guys having a voice. And if you, I mean, you're both men, so one day you will be middle-aged, and then you will be the Let's most hope. persecuted yeah. group yes. in the United Kingdom because <laughs> the Equalities Act and everything else, as far as I can do, I can make out, mm. targets white, middle-aged, heterosexual men the most. Yes, mm. you know, that's that's it. Well, you guys are the most vilified. Well, it's, it's interesting because calls for diversity only go one way. So no one is remotely interested in Britain in sort of diversifying rap music. Like no one in the United States is interested in diversifying, you know, the NBA, make, yeah. making it a more diverse place. So it, it, the, the, the sheer <laughs> fact that there is not this sort of universal pursuit of diversity across all these range of dimensions is proof of the fact that in many cases and for many people, diversity is just a polite byword for um, shoving white people well, to, I mean, to one what, side. What yeah. about the natural diversity That's of the United Kingdom? Um, I mean, it seems like a weird kind of American culture import where I mean, there is, coming from the States, wherever, you're, you're just white, right? Like, some people are like, I'm Italian-American, but everybody's basically just white. Mm. Um, but here, it's like you've got Scots, you know, Celts, Irish, um, you know, Welsh. Welsh. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm, trying, I'm, trying, to, I'm <laughs> trying to make sure that none of the words I'm about to say are, like, actually yeah. unintentional slurs or, like, insults. <laughs> um, but there is, like, a natural diversity to the UK among the indigenous population. That's not talked about at all, mm. which seems w strange to yeah. me. It's like this American import of just, like, black, white... What, what is it here? Asian, East Asian? B-A-M-E or like, yeah. black yeah, and minor right. minority ethnic. Uh, black and minority ethnic, although that I've noticed that that's not really used as much as it used to be. Uh, but yeah. it, one very interesting thing about, uh, it, I was going to say I was going to mention a tweet that you put out, yeah, which, yeah, is, which yeah. was extremely interesting. It's a sort of tweet which I, like Evan and I wouldn't get away with tweeting. Let's just put yeah, it that no, way. I'm very lucky let's do, let's being do, half <laughs> yeah. I can say stuff that you can't. Let's just put it that way. But yeah. you pointed out 
uh, that you, well, you you think that um, so Rishi Sunak's been trying to pursue a, tra- a trade deal with yeah, India. He's got a conflict of interest. He's got a conflict of interest, and one yeah. of the things it's not, it's not just the, <laughs> it's not just the fact you, you didn't just mention the fact that his wife has business dealings in India and that she's made it very clear that she wants to settle there permanently. You, you talk about his ethnic origin being a, a, a point of conflict. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, why, why do you clear. say that? I mean, it's clear to me he's got a conflict of interest. Um, over British policy with India for a multitude of different reasons. But it does start with his wife mm-hmm. because his wife declared herself to be non-dom and the British press nailed her on it because of the tax. Sorry, what is non-dom? So non-dom basically allows you, as a very rich individual, if you're very rich and you come from abroad, you can say, my ultimate intention is to settle back in my country of origin, where, wherever that might be. And I'm only here transit you know hanging out hanging out i'm just hanging out so instead of paying tax in the uk on my worldwide income i'm going to pay thirty thousand pounds a year to the british exchequer and then i don't have to disclose all my income abroad yeah wow so his wife he he claims that she never got any tax breaks as a result of being a non-dom but the the key thing for me in her non-dom status was not the tax avoidance Mm. It was the fact that she had to declare an intention to settle somewhere else. And the country that she chose, understandably, Mm. in our case, was India. So the question then arises, (laughs) was she going to, is she intending to divorce Rishi Sunak and go and live in India? Or is Rishi Sunak going to go and live with her in India? In which case, query how he could claim to be British in the true sense of being entirely committed to this country as an intergenerational project yeah, yeah. in that Burkean sense yeah. of nation what nationhood means it's not just oh I'm living here I'm, I'm of yeah. this place such I'm that I care about its posterity know, and if yeah. one person in this country ought to be British in that sense the prime minister it's the flipping prime minister right? <laughs> <laughs> and so either they're going to get divorced and they already know it yes. or he's going to go and live in India yes <coughs> and, um, so there's the loose women angle and the Daily Mail angle <laughs> yeah. on the story. Yeah, yeah. So the tax issue was subsidiary for me. And then you've got this curious situation where, as the British Prime Minister, he's imposing sanctions on Russia. Mm. And Modi, understandably from Modi's perspective, mm-hmm. is sidling up to Russia, taking advantage of cheap fuel True. and all the products that we have now sanctioned. Yes. So what he's doing here is benefiting India and Infosys, which is his wife's you know, father's company, is busy trading in Russia as if sanctions don't apply. Wow. And, um, and, you know, if that's not bad enough, then look at all the body language. If that doesn't raise enough question marks over Rishi Sunak and his, and his predisposition to India, look at the body language as he came off the plane and what he said. You know, he was all very different. And... I would wish the British Prime Minister to come off the plane and stand tall and stand tall mm. and not to say I am the son-in-law of India. Right. Mm. He's not the son-in-law of India. Mm. He's British through and through, I hope. Yes. And I was frankly offended by and then I think he put that little red dot on his forehead and he wore all the Indian regalia. And I'm, this is not racism. This is where are you, Rishi? Yeah. Mm. You know, which country do you represent? Exactly. Uh, um, it's interesting. So what do you say to, because there will be people who say, well, what's wrong with that? You know, so long as your um, <clears throat> ancestral homeland, in this case, India, doesn't conflict with the, the demands of your adoptive civic allegiance, namely Britain, then you can have a really nice, healthy, layered multiculturalism, multi, multi, multicultural identity, so long as these things are not. Well, look, I'm half Pakistan. Exactly, yes. I'm, my dad's from Punjab. My mother is from Hounslow. Blonde, blue-eyed. Her father fought in the Somme. She comes from a family of vicars and, and clergymen. Yes. And my father comes from Punjab. a very poor background. Farmers, and you know, he educated himself and somehow got a degree and then afforded me an education at private school here, for which I'm very, very grateful and will re- remain eternally grateful. But I am British. Yes. Pakistan has many great attributes as a country, but when, when the chips are down, when I have to stand up and be counted, when I decide whose interests come first, yeah. it is the United Kingdom. Yeah. This is my home. I don't Brilliant. think it would be, you know, it, it'd be the same if you made the argument for me, for example, I'm not British, but I mean, like, you know, if I was to become 
so and then become yeah. prime minister, people would be like, well, wouldn't you have uh, some sort of allegiance to America and Canada where I have my two passports yeah. from? It's like, it's the same thing. Yeah. It's exactly the same thing. R- rather conven- I don't think they, I should be allowed to be prime minister. R- rather, yeah. Convenient, yeah. rather than conveniently in your case, though, Evan, you might actually have a vendetta against Canada, which, that, which would make you fully British. <laughs> That's true, yeah, I'm a bit punitive. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But, it's, but the whole thing leads back to his wife and her declaration that she would go back to him. No, th- that's, all, that's important. You know, but that, and I, there is a third option, of course, that she was lying. Yes. That she had no intention to go to India or divorce Rishi. What would be the point in seeking non-dom status then? I know. Why would you lie? Yes. You know, so either she's a liar or she doesn't have proper allegiance to this country, or she's going to divorce Rishi or something. You know, there's something going on. Yes. If reform was to take over, would you get rid of this non-dom law? Well, I mean, I don't think it's a sensible law. On the other hand, I don't think it's sensible to highly tax international um, businessmen and travelers. Hmm. You know, I think you want to welcome them to the UK. I, I think the global tax of your income needs to be looked at generally by countries. Because if you are, and there are many of them, I'm not one of them, but if you are a fluid traveler and you've got business interests in lots of different areas, you would be deterred from coming to the UK to settle mm. for fear of being double taxed on mm. all your assets. Mm. So we do need to look, I think non paying 30,000 a year, if you're super, super rich, doesn't seem enough to me. Yeah, they're billionaires, right? Yeah, they're yeah. billionaires, yeah, <laughs> you know, many times mm. over. What, 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 what about um, some, so you, some, an arrangement whereby you would keep the non-dom status so that you know, there was still an incentive on enterprising people to come to this country, but that you would, you would set the demands of them becoming citizens much higher? Yeah, I think you've got to look at the equation. You know, I'm not going to sit here and make policy, and make policy on the hoof. Yeah. Yeah, okay. But I mean, I think it needs to be looked at, and I'm sure there's a better formula than the one that we've got at the moment. I see. Labour have promised to abolish it. And I, I don't agree with mm. that either. Not for immigration purposes. No, 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 because they want the tax. Yeah. But they're so stupid because, of, of course, the minute they abolish it, if they don't replace it with something, they're just going to lo- lose well, a whole load of people. And it's also very, it's also, it's, yeah, it's, we have this weird situation where, well, I'm not saying that the, the, the conservative economic success, uh, the, the, the state of the economy under the conservatives is, is, is brilliant. But generally speaking, throughout our history, the conservatives have a better track record for managing the economy yeah. than the Labour Party do. And, but the conservatives also talk tougher on immigration. And that actually tends to mean that when, when Labour's in government, so for example, in the 1970s, we had net emigration because the economic uh, prosperity of this country was, you know, so, in the, so, so yeah. sort of in the toilet. Yet in, in the 80s, immigration started to go up again, precisely under Thatcher's yeah. conservative government. But, you know, last year we had net immigration of 600,000, yes. as you know. Yeah. But we lost 500,000 young British workers. Yeah. To go abroad. Yeah. That is the brain drain happening. Yeah. What we're doing is how many was it? How many was it? Sorry, five hundred thousand. We lost five hundred thousand. Yeah. One, young. It was one point one million was the gross figure yes. of immigration, and five hundred thousand print mainly uh, young British people they, leaving the country. They were overrepresented in 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 the immigration portion yeah, of the figures. Yeah, I yeah, say okay. Yeah. Wow. And so that's huge. Yes. You know, it's not six hundred thousand. We talk about six hundred thousand. Right. It's one point one million. Yes. I, I, that's one, one of the reasons why I would be much, uh, why I would be in favour of publishing, uh, as, as a matter of course, the gross figure of, Im, Im, yeah. of Im, and immigration. And all the ethnicities and the countries that they've come from. And where are our people going? Yes, exactly, because th- then you get a better sense of the churn yeah. that's going on. I do, I do see articles like this propping up from time to time, um, mm. often by writers who seem to have lived their whole life in London and don't intend to leave, mm. um, saying, you know, if you're, if you're a young person, leave the UK. Sam Ashworth Hayes wrote this in the Telegraph yes, recently. Yeah, well, yeah. I wasn't going to name them, but I guess... Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but yes, Sam, Sam did, and I definitely disagree with it. Um, maybe it's because I you know, moved here myself and I'm still qualified as young, but... Um, what would, what would your message be or what would Reform's message be to, to young hmm. Brits who are thinking about leaving or maybe thinking about coming back for not only just the, the party, but, you know, the nation as a whole? Like, why you shouldn't give up? I mean, I give up in Canada, but that's a bit different. I mean, let's be real. Yeah, yeah that's, that is actually hopeless. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, you know, this is why we're fighting the fight, aren't we? To provide what certainly I believe and I think you gents believe to be a secure, good future for our young going forward and not to hollow the country out, not to make it a, um, a place where the ethnic, uh, ethnic white people don't feel welcome, you know, where the indigenous people feel they've got to leave because they're being hounded out. Mm. And I mean, it is partly economic too. <clears throat> you know, young people want to thrive. Yeah. Sure. They want to make money 
and they want to be able to keep money, they want to get married, they want to have children, they want to buy a house. Mm. And if you take that away by overtaxing them, by intervening in their businesses, by regulating them to hell, which is roughly where we are at the moment, tax to hell, regulated to hell, net zero being the worst form of regulation and tax mm. that I think I've seen in my lifetime, the drive towards net zero. If you do that, you're going to drive people aboard. I've seen, I've heard so many young people say, I'm going to move to Dubai. And I go, why Dubai? Oh. And, you know, it's, it's not a democratic country. I'm going to Dubai because... No income tax. No yeah. income tax. Yeah. And I can run my business. Yes. No one's going to interfere. Good law and order. Mm. Zero criminality, basically. Yes. I feel safe and I can make money. I mean, at least go to Singapore. That's Dubai. <laughs> <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> what about on... So, I mean, we can... This is very interesting. Okay, so... I mean, Let's get into reform a little bit. So, um, okay. Um, often, the, the main focus on, on the migration issue in British politics is on illegal immigration. Understandably, yeah. it's the most sort of... It's almost like the Tories want you to look at that. Exactly. Mm. It's the most publicisable. <laughs> it, it, look, it, it, when Farage goes and does his thing on GB News, like in the, in the, in the water, everyone... Every, 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 100,000 yeah. views. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Five seconds. <laughs> everyone wants to see it. Uh, but one thing I've never heard a reform spokesperson say, maybe you don't have an agreed policy among yourselves, is what would you want the ideal legal immigration rate into this country to be? And how would you go about achieving that? Well, we say it should be net zero. Wow, okay. And it's a play, obviously. Uh, on, obviously, on yes. Net zero. Um, <laughs> okay. But net zero immigration. And of course, that would require a dramatic change in the way we operate our economy. Mm. And the only way you can get to net zero immigration is if you get our labor force working. Yeah. Now, what people often get wrong or misunderstand because of the way government presents it, government will tell you unemployment is at record lows. Yeah. And unemployment is at record lows. Therefore, we need. But that's because the only, you have to be looking for a job in order yeah, to be classed track. as unemployed. In fact, Instead of the one and a half million that they claim to be unemployed, mm. there are in fact 6.2 million people on universal credit, 2.4 million of whom are not even bothering to look for a job. How many who aren't bothering? 2.4 million yeah. aren't even looking for a job. Yes. So what we've got is a low unemployment rate, but a completely broken labor force. Yes. And the reason I think we've got it is because it doesn't pay to work. You can get pretty much very close to the median net wage on benefits. The median net wage is around 30,000. Mm -hmm. After tax, it's about 23, 24,000. Mm -hmm. You can more or less get there on benefits. Yes. So I'm not blaming anyone on benefits for sitting at home watching Netflix. I would too. If my option was to be an ambulance driver and the average ambulance driver gets paid 28,000 a year, uh, or I could get benefits of 20 and sit at home watching my favorite Netflix all day. I'd sit at home watching Netflix. It's an economic, it's a rational economic response. It's, it's a rational response to the economic landscape. And, and to the incentives that exist, yeah. to, that exist there. So what we've got to do desperately is, and Liz Trust got this right, is reduce taxes, get the working and middle classes retaining much more of their income so that they want to work. Mm. And if people want to work, then you don't need immigration. To, in order to, <clears throat> yes, because what, the CBI will, t will tell you, for example, that precisely because we face those low <clears throat> unemployment rates, and as you say, they're sort of artificially kept low by the fact yeah. that much of this- those, those, Massaging the figures. Massaging the figures yeah. and all that sort of thing. Uh, uh, for that reason, you know, businesses need labor and therefore yeah. you know, Im immigrants are going to fulfill that. And even sort of, you know, avowed populist restrictionist leaders like Giorgia Maloney, um, recently in, in Italy, recently issued how many of these? 811,000 um, yeah. immigrants or yeah, net immigration over the next four years. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I mean, Maloney, Maloney. For this reason, for the economic reasons. Yeah, that yeah. These I mean, Maloney, you know, she, uh, sadly, I think Maloney is a disappointment because she said all the right <coughs> things to get into office. And we thought, right, we're going to get a center right, you know. A little firebrand down there in Italy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and she's gone all lame, hasn't she? But so what happens if you do what I want, which mm. is to cut taxes on the working and middle classes so they can keep more money and they go back into the labor force and you have less unskilled immigration? 
and large companies in particular who are at fault here have to hire British people, a number of things happen. First of all, the state has to cut its size back because in order to cut taxes, it, it has to pare back its intervention. Mm. I want that. I want the state to get out Where of our way. Where do you start way. making those cuts? There is so much waste. There is so <laughs> much waste. You don't tell me. When we were in, when when we when Rishi was in India, he committed one point six billion pounds to the Green Climate Fund because Modi wanted him to do so. So well, there's one point six billion. We spend four billion a year on illegal housing, illegal migrants. We spend. <laughs> To, yeah, four billion a year. That's one percent off. Whereas you think we should turn them away in the channel? Yeah. We should in, absolutely yeah. reform UK policy, physical response in the channel. Don't let them get on a British boat or on British soil, because then you're absolutely. Going to have then they're it. subject to our laws. Yeah. You have to stop them before they get onto our territory. Yes. Which we have all the international law on our side mm. to do. What do you do with the illegal immigrants who are already here and are like living on the barge or in the hotels? Oh, they're not living on the barge. Yeah. I mean, the barge is <laughs> a really think, expensive well, distraction. I know, I know, but I think the barge... They're, is not really... even, they're not in Rwanda. They're not yeah. even on a barge. They're in Pimlico. I just think, I, I just think the barge is really funny because it's like, we'll put them on a boat, but then we'll keep the boat here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you know the barge is remarkable? I, I don't know if you've got time for this, but you know they get free medical... Uh, Free medical uh, care, free food, taxis in and uh, a bus in and out of Portland, taxis if it's after hours, cash in their pockets, <laughs> Wi-Fi, yeah. a gym, a pool table, and then people still complain they're being hard done by. I, I want to go on holiday on this barge. It sounds fantastic. Yes. Um, but you're sorry, you were, I, we, we, I interrupted. We were talking about waste in the, uh, that could be cut. And one yeah. of the examples you mentioned was... Well, 1.6 1. billion in the Green Climate yes, Fund. Yeah. Um, 4 billion a year on illegal migration, yes. um, which is 1% on the basic rate of tax. You could cut the basic rate of tax wow. by 1% mm. if you didn't have those illegal migrants here. Wow. Um, uh, 2.5 billion last year on Ukraine. We keep getting told that the cost of Ukraine to our economy is massive. You know, we, they keep blaming the Ukrainian. Well, get Zelensky to stop the war then. Let's yeah. get the pressure off our economy. Um, uh, and, you know, and it's on. Lord Agnew, who was a minister in the Treasury, resigned last year because of the woeful <coughs> waste by government. Mm. Woeful waste. That's how he described it. So, I mean, I've enumerated close to 10 billion just there you know, without even scratching the surface or trying to make any real effort to see where government, there's huge government waste. So the government would have to pay itself back, cancel net zero, hugely damaging to the economy, um, or at least cancel the way we're doing it. Um, so, so a state would have to pay itself back, wages would go up, mm -hmm. and companies would then have to innovate to keep their costs down. Yes. So you get an upskill, you automatically get an upskilled, incentivized working labor force with companies that are uh, automating themselves. Yes. Productivity goes up. I like to call it a fully automated luxury restrictionism <laughs> instead of fully uh, automated luxury communism, which is, which is Aaron Bastani's coinage. But the Israelis do this very well because for good, yeah. for, for good reason, they have to be very cautious about their demographic balance because they, they don't want a stateless Jewish, Jewish minority in Israel yeah, for, I mean, for understandable reasons. Yeah. They'd be wiped out. And so they, they are innovating in precisely this way. That they're, they're not just relying on uh, sort of the, 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 narc the narcotic of cheap immigrant labor to, keep, the, to keep their economy that's going. What, and that's what we're doing. We're using a third world e economic model. Mm. And it's no wonder that our economy is going down the drain. Yes. You know, they keep talking about GDP. Oh, by some miracle, GDP didn't go down. Actually, it did go down last month. But GDP per capita yes. is collapsing. Yes. GDP per hour worked is collapsing. Yes. It's because we're, we're operating a low, unskilled third world economic model. We've yes. got to stop it. We're a yes. first world country. Yes. Mm. Yeah, there is another thing that the Israelis do that I quite like, which is mandatory national service. Do you think that could work in a, in a British context? I think it's a great shame that we got rid of national service. When did we do that? 1956 or yeah. Yeah, 56. Oh, um, like Anthony Eden got rid of it. You'll have to fact check me, but it was yeah. in the yeah. 50s. In the 50s do, you, yeah. do you think it would be a good idea to maybe bring that back? In a, in I would, I would definitely agree. I've, yeah. I've been a big advocate of every um, member of the armed forces I speak to about. They go, oh, God, the armed forces don't want a whole load of, you know, <laughs> 
um, unskilled <laughs> Brits coming in for a short term. But right. think about what it would do for the country. Yes. You would have discipline, training, pride, yeah. self-confidence. Mm. Um, physical fitness. Physical fitness. And you would also have a potentially much bigger army if you ever need it. Sure. I, yeah. I think it's some... It, we need to go back to much more emphasis on our on our armed forces. Yes. And what we mustn't do, which we're doing, by the way, when we haven't got time to talk about it, what we mustn't do is slide into some kind of permanent structured cooperation with the EU on armed forces. To do with the EU army. Which mm. is where we are going. I didn't, I didn't know that. We are signing ourselves into it. Yes. Horizon Europe is part of it. And we've also signed up to something called PESCO Mobility, which is a permanent structured cooperation a project and that project prohibits us from speaking out against EU foreign policy, EU uh, matters and so on. And, and we're sliding into an EU army and we mustn't do that. I see. And anyone who says that, you know, uh, you know uh, mandatory national service is, is the hallmark of a dictatorship. It exists in Ukraine, it exists in Norway, it Finland, exists in Sweden, yeah. Finland, Switzerland. Switzerland. Who have the best democracy. Singapore, Israel. They have a referendum on just about everything. Yeah, a, if you want to go to the loo, we'll have a referendum. <laughs> yeah. There's a culture of active participation yeah. in, 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 uh, in Switzerland, certainly. Before we finish, Ben, let me just ask you very quickly. So obviously we have this election coming up next year. I, presumably you don't know quite how many uh, constituencies reform is going to be standing in yet so i won't oh, ask all of them really okay all oh, great. Oh, good. that's our declaration oh great you're going to stand in all of them our aim is to do as much damage to the conservative okay. party okay. as possible in, in swing seats in particular you think that you, yeah you... well we what we want to do is send a message if yeah. we can't um, hopefully we'll get some seats yes but if we can't get some seats if we don't get any seats the minimum bar which we wish to achieve is to send a very strong message to government yes that failure yes. will not be rewarded with incumbency wonderful and this notion that, yeah, we, you know, we recognise we as the Conservatives are bloody awful, but Labour's even mm, worse. It just doesn't cut it anymore. It, it's got to stop. Yeah, yeah. They've got to be punished, even if Labour is worse. Mm. Even if Starmer gets a, a massive majority, mm. we have to go through that. We need that cold shower. Yeah, we need yeah. the cold shower. So yeah. people like Sunak and his, his comrades... <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> his comrades understand that they've got to govern properly. Exactly. And that mediocrity will not be reward, yeah. rewarded, as he put it. Well... So that's a great rallying cry. And thank you so much, Ben, for coming yeah, on to... Thank you. Thank you for having me. Coming on to Deprogrammed. Evan, thanks as ever. Yeah. You've been watching Deprogrammed. Make sure to like, subscribe, leave a comment if you wish, and we shall see you on the next one. Hello. If you're enjoying the New Culture Forum channel and you believe in our mission, may I invite you to join our membership scheme at the link below or on our website, newcultureforum.org.uk. Our work is more important now than ever, and we have great plans ahead for the future, but we can't do it without your support. From as little as £3 per month, you can help ensure that we continue on our mission. As a member, you'll receive a range of benefits, including access to exclusive content, invitations to our private events, including here at our studios, free copies of our books, and much, much more, including, of course, our famous NCF mug. If you aren't able to become a member, then please help us by clicking this button and subscribing to our channel. It's completely free. Just remember to also click the bell icon so that you can get notifications when we post new videos. Thank you.